Hi, it's good to have you back, and I uh, hope you've had a decent week. Uh, one of the themes that we've seen all week, if you've watched CNN or if you watch CP24 or any of the other news programs, it's just this whole thing of fear and worry. It's been pretty much at the top of people's minds, and it's not surprising that people would be afraid. I mean, we have that pumped into us all the time. We're kind of stuck at home by ourselves, and uh, so that's what we get. So, you know, kind of the message that's out there is that, you know, first of all, your health is at risk and your money is at risk because the economy's tanking. And it's a very helpless feeling that we have. Medical community now is giving us some uh, advice and have been giving us advice now for about five weeks on how we can manage our health. It tells us to wash our hands frequently, uh, stay home, stay six feet away from everyone. And if you have problems with coughing or fever, to, uh, to take care of it. Um, so... I'd like to talk about how to manage the other part of us, of our lives that's causing us worry, and that would be our money. Uh, and I know this can be kind of a sensitive topic and sometimes a difficult topic, but I think if you'll, you know, if you'll tune in, I think it can actually be helpful. Now, believe it or not, you know, we think of Jesus as, you know, he's, you know, before he, be, you know, became uh, who he was in terms of the Messiah and prophet and so on, that we think of him as kind of out in the fields and wearing flowers in his hair and dancing around. But actually, Jesus had to manage money. He was a pretty tough guy. Uh, he was a carpenter. Uh, so construction workers back there had to be tough. And he had to collect debts. He had to pay for tools. He had to, you know, help his mom. His mom was apparently living with him. And uh, so he knew what it was like to manage money. Uh, in his most famous message ever, and we've been talking about this Sermon on the Mount, uh, what he basically said, you could put it like this, is if you don't manage money, it will manage you. If you don't manage your money, if you don't make it your servant, it will become your God. Now the question is, what does it mean to manage your money? So I've got a couple of visuals that I want to use. Uh, one of them has to do with, with water and how water gets in your house to where it needs to be. Most of us uh, have water that comes in in the form of a big pipe and it comes from a well or maybe comes from the city water or whatever, but it comes in in a big pipe. And most of us don't have a big swimming pool down in our basement where the water flows and then we have to bucket it up to the bathroom or to the kitchen or things like that. It gets transported there through something called plumbing, okay? Plumbing is an amazing, amazing thing. It has to be managed. And it's the same with water. If you don't manage water, It'll manage you. Um, if you've ever had you know, water go where it's not supposed to, it can do a lot of damage. Uh, a few years ago, I went up to the family cottage in January, and uh, when I went inside, the water was running down the stairs, and I knew we had a problem, which we did. A pipe had frozen and burst. And that was the intersection, you see, of water management and money management, because it cost a bunch of money to get it fixed up. Now, in case uh, that doesn't fit your tastes and so on, and you don't want to hear about plumbing, here's another one. It's tools. Uh, everybody has tools. Um, people who do your taxes use tools. It's a computer, and they, and they have calculators, and they use them. You know, uh, Mechanics use cool tools. Roofers use tools. Money is just a tool. That's all it is. It helps us to live, helps us to take care of things. Um, chainsaw is a tool. I have a friend who had one, and you know, with a chainsaw, you have to be careful with them because if you don't manage them, they can do a lot of damage. He had this thing kicked back and put a crease in his chin and one in his chest and one in his leg. So you, know, you have to be careful with them. And it's, most things will bite back if you don't manage them. Now, here's the thing. Most of us want to be happy with our money. And the truth of the matter is that money by itself can't make us happy. 
Uh, and if I were to ask you, okay, like what would bring peace into your life? And I have this amazing drawing of this dove of peace, you know? So if you want peace when it comes to your money, most people think, well, it means more, more money. And here's, here's the other question, how much more? See, I think you know the answer to that question because I do. It's more than you currently make. And most people think, well, if I just had more money, if I just had more money, I would be happy. I would be at peace. And the truth of the matter is that uh, what will actually make you happy, what will bring peace, is an M word. It starts with M, but it's not more. It's the word manage. Past five weeks, the coronavirus has thoroughly disrupted the financial stability of our world in general, as in, as in most families. And we want, kind of wonder what it's going to be. Some of you have lost your jobs. Uh, some of you have had savings that's gone down or investments that have gone down. So you're thinking about this, okay? What's going to happen? Now, the starting point uh, for talking about management and stuff may, be, may, may surprise you. And what you need to know that it's all through the, it, it starts at the beginning of the Bible, and then it goes through all through the teachings of Jesus and actually ends up in the book of Revelation. Uh, now, I want you to read where everything starts when it comes to money management, okay? Here's it goes. It's found in the book of Genesis. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. We've done that. Fill the earth and subdue it. We've done that. And then this is the next, this next phrase. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, what this is saying is right from the very beginning, uh, our mandate from the one who made us and made everything else, made us in the image of God, he, he wants us to rule over. He wants us to manage things, to make sure that they run well. And so here's the thing that we struggle with. We think that what we have is ours, and yet it actually slips out of our hands when we die. Rigor mortis has a way of doing that. And then even if it gets into somebody else's hands, it slips out of their hands too. This is a fact. We can't hang on to it because it's not ours. Now, some of you have management jobs, and hopefully that'll resume in a few weeks. But let's say you're managing somebody else's money or managing somebody else's property. Can you do anything you want if you're the manager? Well, you can hopefully increase it. You can hopefully do good things with it. but it's not yours. And if you took off with it, well, you know, I'd come and visit you in jail and pray with you, but that's about it because you can't take what doesn't belong to you. Claiming something that doesn't belong to you is called stealing. And to be a good manager, you invest what's been entrusted to you as the owner of whatever it is would want you to. And the parallel of this is that everything that we have has been given to us by God. All, how much of it? All. Now, he's generous, and he gives us a lot of leeway and so on, but we are accountable for how we use what he's placed in our hands. Now, he doesn't show up and you know print his trademark on our cars or our homes or anything like that, um, but this doesn't mean that he doesn't care. He does care how we use what we've been entrusted with. Now, if you were to summarize everything that God has said down through the years about managing money, it comes down to two words, okay? And these are the two words. Be wise and be generous. And so all of us, you see, have some kind of a track record. And, you know, somebody could ask, so, you know, 
If somebody looked at the track record, would it, you know, would it say that you are wise in terms of what you've done with your money? Everybody has a track record there. And would it also say, are you generous? Have you been generous with what you've been given? Because everything that the Bible says, everything that this book says, you read it from cover to cover, it says, be wise and be generous. Now, Jesus' clearest statements tell us that the moment that we think we own our money and that it's all ours and we can just do with it whatever we want, it actually owns us. One of his parables uh, has to do with that, and he has a couple actually that he uses, but it's about a king going on a trip or a boss or a wealthy man going on a trip and entrusting everything that he leaves behind to his servants or his managers. Now, this isn't just a coincidence. This, this you know, fits pretty much everything that Jesus said about money, but let me read part of the story for you. Again, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. And so also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settle accounts with them. Now, this story is about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus makes that clear. And this is, he tells this story just about two or three days before he died. The kingdom of heaven is basically about how the value of system, value system of heaven gets lived out here in our lives. So the guy who's going on the journey would respond, would be God. That's who it represents, right? And the servants that he's entrusted his wealth to would be, well, that would be me. It would be you. Okay. Now, it's interesting, you notice immediately that the what he's been given, uh, what he's given out is distributed unequally. The other thing to understand is that this is a lot of money for all three of them. For example, the guy that got five talents of gold, uh, a talent is about 75 pounds. So this is about 375 pounds of gold. And in today's market, that would be worth about $10.5 million. Okay? The guy with only seven 75 pounds of gold, one talent, is still has been entrusted with over $2 million. So this is a lot of money. And what this is representing in our lives is this is representing the money that we've been given, all the opportunities that we've been given, the resources that we've been given, the abilities that we've been given. And God gives this to us as kind of a test to see whether we're going to be faithful with it or not. That's true of every human being. So just to do the math here, how much of this money actually belonged to these people, these managers that it was given to. None of it did. It belonged to the master. He entrusted it to them. And it says that after a long time, the owner returned to his managers to find out what happened. The one guy had multiplied five bags of gold into 10 bags of gold. And he says, good and faithful servant. Guy with two bags of gold had multiplied his to four. He says, good and faithful servant, come and enjoy your reward. What about the guy with one bag? Well, that story's a little different. Uh, for him, zip, nada, zero <laughs> would be kind of how he had multiplied his because he buried it. And what's interesting in this story is that he blamed, this, he blamed his mismanagement on the owner. He says, you expected too much of me. Now, according to Jesus, the owner was furious. And you would be too. I mean, you think about it. You know, you invest your money with somebody who manages, your, who manages for you. And then you go to retire and you find out that he buried it in the backyard next to his shed. It wouldn't make sense. 
And Jesus, it's really interesting here because he's talking about managing it properly. He says you could have at least you know, invested it with the bankers and increased it that way. Now, it's really interesting because this guy doesn't embezzle the money. He doesn't take a trip to the Bahamas and live down there and, and forget about it. But you look back, the person who gave it to him has given him this amazing opportunity. And he throws it on the table when he gets back and says, see, here's what belongs to you. Now, whatever his reasoning was for burying the money in his backyard, you know, it wasn't wise and it wasn't generous. And the manager calls him a wicked, lazy servant. Now, I wouldn't want to, <laughs> I wouldn't want to have a final accounting interview like this. Uh, and I don't think you are either. So let's talk about the plumbing. Let's talk about money plumbing. Let's talk about managing, the, managing your money. Now, I realize that there are some of you listening who say, you know, hey, I'm not a follower of Jesus, and, you know, and I don't really buy into this whole thing that it belongs to God, doesn't work for me. So I get that. I understand that. Okay. But here's the question that I think fits everyone that spends money and uses money. If you were able, right before you died, you know, you get to the tombstone, and you're able to just turn around real quick and look back, what do you want to see for your life? Would it bring you satisfaction if you could look back on your life and you realize that what you have done is you've used all your money for yourself and consumed it all? I think most of us would like to think, even if we don't believe in a future, that we have somehow done some good, that we have somehow haven't taken everything for ourselves. We want to be able to make a difference. And that's what this is talking about. Because you see, if you're in this, you just want to survive till you die. That will happen. That's not a very big goal. You will survive till you die. Let's go deeper, though. Would you find it satisfying if at the end of your life, you know, that you had made a difference in the lives of other people? That's what this is talking about. It's talking about satisfaction. It's talking about joy. And what Jesus said throughout his life uh, was that basically that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And it's, it's just true. It feels better in life. It makes a difference. to be. It brings satisfaction to be able to look back and realize that you've made somebody else's life a little better. Now, here's the problem. If you're taking your cues uh, from, from the media and from our culture, this is, this is kind of what it shows, okay? And it's a problem that you make this, but you live like this, and you get the difference, right? Okay? You're living actually better than what you're making. We are told right now, from the best of our understanding, that most people in Canada and the U.S. live on about 110% of their income which means that their spending every year is going up over what they, what they actually make. Now, if this isn't going to happen, if you're not going to be doing this thing, then you have to manage your fear of being left out. You'll have to manage your fear that you know, somebody's going to have nicer stuff than you do and so on. You're going to need some plumbing to make that happen. Now, the Davis plumbing system that is in our house you know, takes the takes the water to the kitchen sink, takes it to the bathroom, it takes it to the washer, takes it to the dishwasher, takes it to the dehumidifier in the basement. Now, if I was going to have to say, okay, there's one of these or two of these that ought to get some kind of a priority, well, it wouldn't be the humidifier, okay? I make sure it gets to the kitchen and probably make sure it gets to the bathroom. Now, here's the deal, okay? You will live on a percentage of your money. You will. So why not decide? what percentage you're going to live on. That's what management is about. Management is just basically saying, this is the percentage of money that I'm going to live on and I'm going to hold myself accountable to it. Now, in here I have this thing. I mean, there's a number of things that you can do with money. You can spend it, which we don't usually have problems doing. We repay debt, 
with it. And sometimes we have to do that. We pay taxes with it, which kind of gets into this time of year because you have to do that. We can save it and we can give it. Now, here's what's unfortunate. That's usually, it, we usually do things in that order. We spend it first and then we, you know, repay debt with it if we have it, if we have debt and we pay taxes with it. And then if we have some left, we save it. And if we then have a little bit left over, then we give it. And I'm telling you, that is the wrong set of priorities. Because what will happen in your life is that if you prioritize your money like that, you'll never give anything. You'll never save anything. That will just get a tiny, tiny percentage of the leftovers in your life. And so what I want to suggest here is something, and I'll, I'll illustrate this at the end, is you need to flip the priorities. That you give first, you save second, and then you live on what you have left. And if live is at the bottom of your list, you know, you and I both know, you know, if it's at the top of your list, you know that, you know, that if what you give and what you save is going to get the leftovers. Now, um, remember Jesus' bottom line here. Jesus' bottom line is that we are not the owners. We are the managers. And when we manage something, we are called to manage it based on the priorities of the person uh, that it belongs to. And to tip us off, you know, Jesus said, you know, that blessing others brings way more joy than taking and consuming. But the big <laughs> the big eye-opener in this is the very next story that Jesus tells after this story about the managers and the, and the person who owns the money is the story of the sheep and the goats. Remember that? He said, you know, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I, was, I needed shelter. You gave me a place to live and so on. And, and saying that that is his priority in life, that we do that for him. When we do it for the least of people, we're doing it for him. So that's obviously in the priority list that we give. And then saving. We have to save. You know why? It's because stuff happens in life. Um, like COVID, okay? The COVID-19 thing. We all know that that happened and it's still happening. And this is the way it goes in life, okay? So this is the money. This is what we earn. And so hopefully it goes up over time. What we spend definitely goes up over time, sometimes more than what we actually earn. And then if we save, you see, if we save above that, then when you hit an emergency, what happens is sometimes your earning goes down. That's what they're saying now. Some some are going to lose jobs and so on. Uh, sometimes our money is going to be our money is going to be worth less than it was before this. So when we hit an emergency, many times the spending has to go up. And if you don't have anything up there, then you're caught, and you need and you need to you're going to have to get money from someplace else. So that's why you know it's important to have some kind of savings, no matter where you're at. Book of Proverbs has a word for people who spend everything they have without even thinking about the future. Let me read it for you and see if you can pick out what it is. It says, the wise person saves for the future. The foolish person spends whatever he or she gets. So that's a problem if you spend everything you get because you're going to have these in life. COVID-19 is one thing, and we're going to run into other ones as we go through life. Now, when, we, when it gets to financial plumbing, can I just make a few suggestions here? And if you don't want to listen to these, you can go and watch cartoons or something like that. But let me just make a few suggestions. First thing is, better find the leaks, okay, in the plumbing. If you know anything about plumbing, you know that, you know, if you have a leak, it can cause a lot of damage. If it's up in the walls or up in the ceiling or in the walls or something, it can create mold. It just, it's just, you know, it can be a problem. And there are several different leaks that I want to talk about. Addictions, that's a big leak. I'll tell you what, you can, uh, if you smoke cigarettes and so on, you probably spend about 3,000 bucks a year, okay? 
Okay, so that's a lot of money to take off the top. If you smoke weed, you know, it's about $5,000 a year. If you, you know, have an, are addicted to shoes, I have no idea. You know, Melda Marcos apparently had a problem with that. And uh, you can spend a lot of money on shoes. Think about gambling or the lottery. Okay, if <laughs> you can drop a lot of money without getting a lot of result on that. If you're a foodie, like if you just love food and like exotic food and like going out and so on, you can spend a lot of money on that and you really don't have anything to show for it. Then you have to spend money to lose the extra weight that you gain off of it. You know, you feed an addiction and it grows. And I'm telling you, it's a leak. It's a leak in the plumbing. Um, there's lot other leaks too. For example, like if your big deal is impressing other people, you know, with what you have and what you drive and where you live and so on, that, that creates a problem. That's a leak in the plumbing. Spending habits. Uh, there's some very interesting things. You know, uh, there are some people you could call impulsive spending. So, in, impulsive spenders. So, they'll go out, you know, and, and all of a sudden, you know, something will strike their fancy and they'll get it. For If I'm in this category, and I sometimes am, you get me a, you get me a Canadian tire you know, flyer, and there's a 70% off sale, you know, I, I think about, <laughs> I look at this, I'm like, wow, this is good. I don't need one, but you know, 70% off, that's a good price. So it could be an impulsive spender. There are compulsive spenders. I don't know if you know anyone like this, but you know, this is a person who's addicted to shopping. Uh, I knew a woman once, you know, that borrowed money to buy a car. Then she sold the car, hadn't fully paid for it, sold the car, and then went out and spent all the money on a shopping spree. It's a compulsive spender, and it's a problem. Some people, you could call them revenge spenders. So, you know, I like boats. So this is the guy, you know, who has a 14-foot aluminum boat, and he has the thing for 10 years, and he gets sick of all these big, shiny boats going by. So he, so he sells his boat, and he buys a 32-foot, you know, cigarette boat, offshore racer, you know, with the blazoned on the sides. Look at me now. <laughs> it's kind of a revenge spending thing. Sometimes there are boredom spenders, and sometimes the ads appeal to this. You've probably seen the ad, you know, for the car that basically says, you know, are you bored at home? You know, buy one of these and go on an adventure, go shopping. Special interest spenders, and we all have a little bit of this in this. We all have something like it could be gadgets, it could be shoes, it could be boats, it could be fishing equipment, you know, um, something like that. Antiques, there's lots of different things where we have a weakness, in, and if the plumbing is going to get punctured, it's in that area of weakness. They're status spenders, and I, I talked a little bit about this already, you know. But I tell you, it, it's this weird thing sometimes we have as people to want other people to know, I've made it. Look at what I have. Look at what I drive, you know. Look at what I wear. Now, what you have to understand is this is called coveting, okay, and trying to get other people to covet you, and it's on the Big Ten, so it's not a good thing. Now, if you struggle with trying to keep up with what other people have you know the people you know just got a new suv or they just got a new expensive dog or something like that then here's here's a suggestion you know let them win just say you know take the victory lap you get the trophy for the nicest yard you get the trophy for the coolest car you get the trophy for you know for whatever and so you win i concede defeat you win so you might want to try that you know just turn things off right now and just you know concede defeat. Let the other person win. Now, I'm guessing that some of you right now, if you're a normal Canadian, uh, you're struggling with a load of debt. And all of a sudden, when you hit an emergency like this, it gets hard. Because it's not like you can just stop making your payments. You know, I know they make promises out there. You know, Ford tells us, you know, that if you bought one of our cars and stuff like this, and we'll help you. But here's, here's one of the things that comes into this picture, okay? 
I, I mentioned this, I think, in, in, one of the, uh, in one of the Instagram things that we did. What if our money talked? Like, I have to think about that. You know, what if my money went out and blabbed all my secrets? Um, my money would probably talk to me and it would at times say, Ken, what did you do with your brain? Because you're not using it, you know. Didn't you see this coming? And what I want to encourage you to do is to push back on some of the shame and stuff like this if you've had some failures in this area, because we all have them. We all struggle. This is, we live in a culture that, you know, for whom money is a big deal. Now, you need to have a plan. And that's where the plumbing comes in. You need to decide how you're going to get the money to, to where it needs to go. But I'm telling you, you need more than that. You really do. Um, the Spirit of God, when He comes into our lives, uh, He says that He brings joy, He brings peace, He brings love, kindness, goodness. But one of the things that he brings in is self-control. And he's the one who helps us to be able to live with character and, and keep our commitments. See, here's the deal. We drift into debt, but I'm telling you, you never drift out of it. You won't drift out of it. You need to have a plan to get out. Now, if you're in some kind of a mess, and I'm not going to dwell on this, but if you're in a mess, I, I just want to give you some things to remember. First of all, you need to understand there is hope. Sometimes you get into this stuff and you just feel so hopeless. And you just think nothing's ever going to change. But there is hope. People have gotten out of worse messes than you. So there is hope. The second thing that you have to remember is this. You can live on what you make. You really can. It'll take some work, but you can live on what you make. And third, you get out of money messes the way you get in, a little bit at a time. You know, It's not going to be by winning the lottery or having you know some great uncle who dies and sends you a big check. That's not going to happen. But you need to, you need to regularly spend less than you make. And, and that means change. Now, you know, I'm sure, that I am not a financial whiz. So all of these principles that I've laid out here and some of the ones I'm going to give you now, these are not things that I thought up. Okay, um, I've borrowed them, copied them over the years, tried to apply them to my life. To my life. But you want to know what some of them are. Let me just give them some of you. First of all, if you want to get out of debt, you have to figure up exactly what you owe. Like look at everything. Total up the balances from credit card, installment loans, mortgages, loans from friends. And then you have to know what the terms of repayment are because you might have to see if you can contact them and they will likely be helpful in terms of changing some of those things. So know what the repayment terms are. The second step is you have to stop getting, going into debt. Like you have to stop going, like eliminate all debt, you know. If you want to do something creative, get all your credit cards out, you know, and, and put them on a piece of tinfoil, put them in the oven at 450 degrees, and, you know, in about 15 minutes, you'll have a nice collage to remind you of your commitment. The third step is to develop a repayment plan and stick to it. Stay to it until you're out of it. Uh, and this is where you develop the plumbing that's going to help you to get out. And the way this works is, you know, 10% or whatever percentage you choose, still give because you want to be able to give. And if you don't put this in there, you won't do it. The second thing is you want to save. And the savings part feels a little bit contradictory. But if you don't have savings, you see, then what's going to happen is you're going to hit the emergency that we talked about earlier and you're going to get right back into debt. And finally, and this is the hardest part, this is the hardest part. It's to live on the 70% that's less left. You come up with a plan on how you're going to spend it, and then you have to spy on your money. Okay, and what I mean by this is you have to track it. 
And I have a sheet that I use. I think I've showed it before. And I put in there all the different categories where the money goes and figure out what it is that I need to spend in those areas. And then I track it. I put, actually put the amounts in there and find out how much I'm spending in these areas. Now, you may be thinking, that's impossible. And so the question I have to ask you is then, so what are your options? To keep going into more debt? I mean, you may have to sell some of your assets. You may have to move to a smaller house. You may have to sell a car or something like that. But I'm telling you, when you feel the debt chains fall off of you, it will be worth it. You know, the Bible says this in the book of Proverbs. It says that the person who borrows is the slave to the person who lends the money. And that's really true. And our biggest problem is staying out of debt. Because you see, we've been duped into thinking, you know, that we can't live without debt. And I know, I was there. I remember, you know, I used to think that, you know, there was only one way to owe a car, own a car, and that is to actually make payments. I, I couldn't afford to pay for a car right out of my pocket. And so somebody once asked me the question, so can you afford to pay more for a car <laughs> because you can't pay for it out of your pocket? And I thought, well, that's, that doesn't work either, you know. But I'll tell you, one of the things that jarred me most was a comment, and this is the comment, interest is the rent that you pay on money you don't get to keep the money, and if you can't pay the rent, you have to give it back. What happens is the more debt you get in, more consumer debt that you get in, the more interest that you pay, and it begins to shrink your standard of living. And if you don't shrink your standard of living, then the debt just keeps piling up and stacking up, and you're paying rent on all this money. It might be helpful also to understand, you know, why you spend the way you do, okay? Lori and I were raised very differently when it came to money. Um, she, was, uh, she was raised, you know, to, you know, save and so on. Her parents were very careful about that. And, you know, maybe erred a little bit on the being too careful, which people who were raised during the Depression, that was kind of their, their default mode. My parents were generous, I mean, very generous, you know. But money management in our home was more like kuna matata, you know, no worries. And my parents didn't start saving for retirement until they were, I think, in their early 60s. So, you know, Lori and I have had lots of back and forth on this, as you can possibly imagine. You know, Lori was the one that said, you know, we need to pay cash for cars and just drive the car instead of, you know, paying, you know, making payments on it and so on. So we decided early on that we were going to not have a credit card. And when we finally did have to get one just because of, you know, I was doing some education and so on and needed to pay for stuff that way, we decided pay the entire balance every month. And we did. And I'm glad because it can rack up a lot of money. Now, here's the problem. Saying stuff in a closed environment like this, I mean, that's pretty easy to do, right? And it feels pretty good to think, okay, well, maybe I can do that until it's actually decision time. And all of a sudden, you got to make the hard decisions about what you're going to buy and what you're not going to buy. And you begin to look at things, and you begin to worry a little bit about them, and you listen to the news and all the chaos, and be worried, be very worried, be scared, be afraid. You know, people are dying, and just all of this negative press. And it, and it does make us worried because we're smart people. You know, we know that people are dying. We know that you know the financial market has been impacted by this. But Jesus said this. Therefore, I tell you. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food 
and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now, what Jesus is saying is, you know, just he's not telling us, you know, we don't fly around, you know, and land in trees and, and store birdseed. We all know that. We're not birds. We're, we're human beings. But he's saying there's somebody who is watching over you. And he's promised that he would give you wisdom. Well, you need wisdom because we need to be wise. He's promised, you know, that he would pro provide for us, that he takes care of the birds and everything else, and that he's going to take care of us. We are loved by somebody who owns the universe. That's what Jesus is saying. And he says, so don't act like orphans. Don't act like kids with abusive, selfish parents. Trust his love. And then these words, this is what he says. He's talking about priorities here. But your heavenly Father already knows perfectly well that you need all these things. And he will give them to you, listen to this, if you give him first place in your life and live as he wants you to. Priority is important. See, if somebody owns everything and you're dependent on him, why wouldn't you give him first place? Why wouldn't you ask him to come and live in you and orient your life around what he wants so that you can make the difference that you want to make with your life? So here's the deal. With money, you can spend it, you can repay debt, you can pay taxes, you can save it, you can give it. And what I want to encourage you to do is reorder the priorities where you give because that honors God and it honors you as a dignified person, as a person with, with, who sees the needs of other people. Save because <laughs> once COVID-19 is over, something else is going to come along. Save and then live. Let those be your priorities. 10% starting point, 10% starting point, 80%. Again, you don't want to forget the next story that Jesus tells when he's talking about management. He says, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was hungry, you gave me something, something to eat. I was sick and in prison, you came and visited me. We always want, when the day is over, to have been kind and to show compassion by giving what we have to help others. So there you have it. Let's pray. God, we live in uh, days that I think are concerning to all of us. We watch the stock market plummet and wonder what that means for our future. Uh, we watch jobs seemingly disappear. We wonder if they're going to come back. We know that we will continue to have to pay rent or mortgages, and we will have to continue to pay for cars and pay for food and all these things. And all these things weigh on our mind. And it's so easy to panic and to live in fear. And I pray that, God, that we would be able to live in faith and hope that you really are a God who sees our needs and that you care for us. And you call us to reorder, reorder our priorities because you're the owner, we're the managers. Amen. So may God give you the strength to live without fear. May he help you even as you watch the reports on CNN and CP24 and all the other places to live with hope and to remember that he runs everything 
He owns everything, and he cares about you. Amen.